0: Hey friends, I'm so glad you're here, and I'm glad you're joining me for another episode of the Life Over Beer podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Rose, and I'm so excited to introduce you to a new beer buddy of mine, Mark Lords. Mark is the founder of the Common Beer Company, and what I just find so fascinating about Mark, besides the fact that he's super friendly and makes great beer, is the mission of his company is very similar to how I feel about this podcast. So his mission for his company is to be all about great beer and building community. And that aligns so much with this podcast. He was a perfect fit for the show. And something else that I love that's on his website that I think just is really impactful is that common doesn't mean boring. It certainly doesn't stand for plain, It's the ground between us and the place where bright flavors meet colorful conversations. Everyone loves a place they can go with friends and family that is comfortable and inviting. And I just think that's so great. And I can't wait to hear more about his brewery. And I just hope that you really enjoy this episode as much as I did. So go grab a beer and join us as we enjoy life over beer. All right, friends, so I'm here with Mark, and Mark, I'm super excited to see you. It's nice that we get to do this, even if the weather is supposed to be really bad tonight. Um, For everybody that doesn't live in Ohio, it's, one, really cold, um, which isn't terribly uncommon, but I feel like it's been a long time since we've had really cold weather, and we're supposed to get some snow and stuff, so I'm glad we were able to do this. Um, Mark, do you want to share what we're drinking?
1: Sure. Uh, so <clears throat> we decided to attack two beers tonight. Both uh, very different in styles. Um, one is our uh, Dunkel. Uh, the Dunkel is uh, you know a dark malty beer. Um, Dunkels are are really famous over in Europe. Um, a lot of malt presence on that one. Um, very good, like around the fire kind of weathered uh, drink. Um, we really tried to focus in on getting too, true to the style this year. Um, in years past, we've we've done some things with some flavorings and things like that, but this year we decided we wanted to really direct our attention straight to the uh, to the variety. Um, so the Dunkel has been on for approximately a month and a half now. Uh, we named it dunkelophagus, uh, which you wouldn't you wouldn't believe the different pronunciations we get from people when they look at the sign. Um, my favorite being the Dunky Lafegus. Um, so. It is interesting. We're finding out what age level is actually familiar with Sesame Street and those that aren't. Um, but it turned out to be a you know really good beer. It's selling very well. We're actually uh, almost through it, which is uh, for a month and a half on a beer to go through it all, that's, that's a good sign. Um, the other one we're going to be drinking tonight, uh, which I think is the one you might have started with, um, is the Fly Rod. Um, Fly Rod is a, an herb beer. It's a newer category in the, uh, the world of beers. Um, People have been making herb beers forever, but it never really was a a recognized category until more recent times. Um, The fly rod is our second attempt at an herb beer. Uh, The first one, we grew some lavender back behind the brewery and we infused that into an ale. Um, And we learned from the lavender beer that we really don't need to use as much spice as we were using, uh, because it kind of got a little heavy on the lavender, Um, still drank very well. Uh, So what we did with the fly rod, we we infused some sage, some fresh sage, um, after the boil process was done. Uh, And on a whim, we decided to submit that to the U.S. Open of Beers uh, this year because we had a delay because of COVID. It was much later in the year. So we submitted it, and out of uh, what we're being told, around 650 beers between Mexico, Canada, and the United States, we actually took the gold medal. So that is the number one herb beer in the United States this year, which is a a truly a crowning achievement for any brewery. Um, And considering we really just, I was hoping at minimum to just get, you know, some kind of recognition of some sort. Um, Pulling a gold medal was, was, uh, was a milestone for the brewery for sure.
0: That's amazing. So I actually started with the Dunkle. um, I love, I love a good dark beer. And what I want Mm -hmm. to congratulate you on is on your Dunkel. I feel like, This is such a nice, beautiful, like you said, it's very true to what it should be. Beautiful, bold flavor. I feel like sometimes when you get somebody that just wants to do a one-off dunkle, it's almost weak. Like, it's a dark beer, but it's weak, and this is not, so congratulations. And I'm super excited about trying the herb beer, just because Mm -hmm. I've never had one. So when I saw it uh, at your brewery today, I was like, ooh, I want to try some of that.
1: Yeah, well, it's a good. Like I said, it was a good pick. It it uh, it obviously showed very well in a national competition, um, but also it's uh, it's a it's a style that most people haven't had because it's not a very prevalent beer on the market. Um, but I think the fly rod we we, we released the fly rod around Thanksgiving, um, and it ended up that the sage you'll you'll taste uh, the sage in the beer really went well with Thanksgiving dinner. Um, so we had several of our regulars coming in. They were actually cooking with it. Uh, you know. Adding it to um, adding it to the stuffing instead of adding just chicken broth and uh, obviously serving it with the turkey dinner and it it turned out really nice so we're very very proud of that one and uh, <clears throat> from what I'm being told in the industry around the area we're getting known as the herb beer uh, brewery so we're probably going to try and keep at the herb style here for a while and see see what else we can kind of create and come up with
0: well and i think that's fabulous because one now you're gonna have to have it next thanksgiving because you've sparked my Mm -hmm. interest and how much i love to cook so it's gonna have to happen next year i've gotta try it
1: just for you just for me
0: (laughs) (laughs) but also i mean if we're being super honest there is a lot of craft beers out there and you've got to be really creative in order to stand out or else you just taste like yeah. every other, you know, small town brewery.
1: Yeah, that's probably one of the struggles, and it's 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 something that we, my brewer, and myself, and and my wife, and even our staff, uh, we struggled, you know, finding those not really new niches, but certainly the ones that aren't as prevalent. There are a lot of breweries around the area that do, you know, their, their whole palette is so creative and. Um, the one I always uh, point to is Streetside uh, had a sausage beer uh, that I tried when I was down there. And, and true to, the, to what they said, it tasted like a liquid sausage. It was, it was actually really good. I did about a 10-ounce pour of it. And I was done with it after 10 ounces, but the fact that they hit it. But yeah, being creative with, with, with the beers is, is challenging. Um, I think even more challenging for the brewing industry is if, if you're going to pick a style getting it as close to that style and getting uh, you know, true to the form is probably as challenging as being creative. But having said that, you certainly need to have to have a rainbow of flavors and some really wild one-offs to really draw attention and and to make sure you're servicing your whole customer base.
0: Absolutely. And do you feel your customer base, because I can only imagine as many different varieties as I drink, you probably have some folks that are very much like, I want to try craft beer, but I don't know if I could get to sage or to sausage or something yes. really out there.
1: Yeah, and, and Mason, uh, we have three breweries here in Mason, ourselves included, 16 Lots and Sonder. Um, so from an experience perspective, we're really able to give our Mason folks, you know, quite a broad spectrum of experiencing a brewery as far as an atmosphere. But Mason is relatively new to the craft beer industry, uh, 16 Lots being the oldest one at three years. Uh, Sondra and I are only two weeks apart at being two years old. So, yes, we have, we have a large contingency of people that come into our place that don't want to find a sage beer or a sausage beer. They really just, uh, you know, we don't get as many all I want to a Bud Light drinkers anymore. Uh, when we first opened, we got a lot of that but there are the majority of our clientele, not majority, but there's a good portion of our clientele that wants to come in and just have what we call in the industry, an approachable beer, not to steal the approachable blonde from one of our local breweries, but they really want a beer that they can just sit and enjoy, know they're drinking a beer, um, but not be blown away by some crazy flavor. So we have, uh, you know, we have that challenge. Whereas uh, folks like, um, you know, Urban Artifact and Street side, where their clientele is used to coming in and getting something kind of, you know, off the rails. Uh, and that's what they, that's their struggle because they have to continually come up with new flavors and be uber creative because that's what their customer base is expecting. Um, so our, we, we try and keep, we have 13 beers we have on tap, our taps running at all times. Um, we certainly have to have the standard IPAs and pale ales because people come in for those. Um, and then what we're trying to do is target two or three that are, we'll call them kind of fun beers or off the rail beers, but everything else, what we try and do is we try and get two or three that are approachable and then two or three or four that are like the Dunkel, true to the style. So it is a challenge. It's probably one of the biggest challenges we face on a daily basis is just making sure we have that, that wide variety of beers for any type of beer drinker that are walking the door. Yeah.
0: So, let's talk about some other challenges as a brewer because I think sure. I think so often in life there's many components of life that we if you're not in that industry, if you're not in the arena making that product, you just have no clue how much effort it takes to get it, you know to your glass. Um, right. as a brewery, I'm sure you know you feel like you have to be the marketer and the scientist and the sociologist of knowing what people are gonna buy and you know, you're now a businessman and you're now trying to be creative. And and in some ways I almost feel like craft breweries, you have to really have kind of that artsy creative feel. Or yes. just like you said, you won't you won't find your area in the niche.
1: Absolutely. It's it's um the, the word that we like to use, especially during COVID, is pivot. And and that's certainly something that a lot of businesses have had to do during COVID, but even on a daily basis, being a brewer, and especially being as small as we are, um, because right now it's just my wife and I that are the owners and we have no investors. We have no, nobody else that's, that's on board, no board to speak of other than she and I, Um, we have a full-time brewer. uh, So I have my scientist, fortunately. Um, And then we have a bar staff, which is consists of one full-time and three part-time employees. So, I don't have anybody else to fall back on as far as anything else, whether it be marketing, social media, event planning, um, event coordination, creativity, um, repairman—you know, you name it. Uh, being as small as we are, my wife and I are, and our bar manager and brewer are challenged with being all of those, wearing all those different hats every single day, and it—it it is a challenge. It is. It's something you struggle with, but fortunately, with, between the four of us, we've all kind of found things that we're really good at and things that we are not very good at. And so we've, we've learned to lean on each other for the things that each other is good at, um, but depend, you know, to, to step up and be good at what we should be good at. you know, Not having a big budget, not having a big staff, um, being creative. I'm, I'm very fortunate. I have a very detail-oriented wife who is very creative. Um, I've got a a bar manager who is off the walls creative as far as, you know, just being social and being, you know, having creative ideas. And I have a brewer that if I tell him, if I point him in a direction, he will go there and he will do it right. Um, so we, we certainly struggle with that on a daily basis, but it's fun. That's, that's the one part of the job that is fun because it really challenges you to think outside of your comfort zone, outside of the box, if you want to call it that, but when we first opened the business, my thought was, you know, my wife is a bookkeeper by trade, so she's got the books. She's got that down (laughs) pat. We'll both kind of manage the business because we both kind of have a little bit of knowledge of small businesses, but a lot more knowledge and just, you know, business itself. And then I'll brew. And then we opened the place or got ready to open. And all of a sudden all these other hats started being thrown our way and we had, we couldn't just let them drop. We had to pick them up and put them on and do what needed to be done. So, yes, an answer to, a long, long answer to your short question. Creativity is definitely one of the biggest challenges in owning a brewery, especially in the marketplace today.
0: Right. Well, but I think that's so important. And I love what you said. Like, when hats start flying your way of jobs that have to be done, if you want your business to thrive, you can't just drop them. And I think no. so often, I, I hate to like, I hate to like pick on generations especially my own but I feel like sometimes that knowledge isn't shared that like hey your job title might be this but at the end of the day there's you know like you said only four people that do a majority of the work someone's got to pick it up and if you constantly sit there and wait for someone else to pick it up you know you're going to be in a lot of hurt and really behind.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's pretty much true. I've found throughout my career, even before we opened the brewery, um, a job title and a job description is one thing, but at the end of the day, the job has to get done. And a lot of that job getting done doesn't include things that they told you, you might or might not be doing in your interview. So you, you really have to, you really have to open, be open to going out of your comfort zone and doing things that you weren't planning on doing when you woke up that morning. Um, owning a small business brewery or not owning a small business, that's truly what a small business owner, that's what people should really admire about them because they don't have somebody else to turn to and say, you know, you go do this because it needs to get done. It's on them to get it done.
0: Absolutely. Well, Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm from a ag background, but my parents are both small business owners too. So I, I feel like in some ways I just know that because that has been transferred down. But I do see sure. a lot of people my age that they're just like, well, that's not what I was hired to do. Um, right. And I always respond like, it doesn't matter what you were hired to do. At the end of the day, yeah. like, we got to get this done. That's how you get, that's yes. how you get across the finish line. Uh.
1: Well, to make you feel better, so you can back off the generational comment. When I was 24, 25, I had no idea either. So... It's, I, I do agree that from a generational perspective, we've found, as a society, we've found a way to pigeonhole jobs to, to be very specific in what they do, um, especially now with big corporations and consulting firms and just the change of the marketplace for job openings and job offerings. That's changed a little bit, um, but I certainly wouldn't put it on your generation as being lacking not... Only, I think more it's lacking the, the offerings to, be, to, to experience that versus walking out at 25 years old and not realizing, hey, that's what you have to do. I can tell you right now, my daughter is more than aware of the fact that she's going to have to be doing uh, you know, things other than what they might have told her she had to do when she got interviewed. But it, she's had the fortunate occasion like you have to have parents that are small business owners and you saw the day-to-day struggle and, and the things that they had to do. So.
0: Absolutely. That's a good point. Absolutely. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about COVID, but I want to expand on that if that's okay. Mm-hmm. COVID um, has caused a lot of uh, pivoting and struggles for many folks, but I I definitely see that the craft beer industry, while I think more people drink alcohol during the pandemic, you know, a lot of the craft beer industry really relies on things like patios and you know that atmosphere how do breweries like you know how to create that experience for somebody if you can't all be together
1: well the challenge with a brewery our size um, is we don't have a lot of indoor space so tonight would be a tough night for us to get all the people that want to come to my brewery into a spot Um To, it's kind of a tough question to answer because there's so many different styles and different types of breweries. A lot, What a lot of breweries are doing, what we did a, initially was to try and create an outdoor space that was heated enough to where, uh, you know, maybe a 40 degree night wasn't as 40 degrees as it could have been. Um, and there's a, you know, the, the tent industry blew up, you know, the, the canopy industry absolutely blew up with with people trying to get outside space created. Um, what we have, what we have attempted to do on top of that is we, we've increased our packaging capabilities. Um, so right now you're drinking out of a bottle and we did not bottle beer prior to COVID. Okay. Uh, we had planned on it. Um, but obviously COVID being brought into effect that, that kind of hastened that schedule to get bottling as a capability and as an offering for people to come in and, and, and take with them. Um, fortunately, we were able to get the bottling line up and running pretty quickly. And we were able to get that offer uh, going very soon after they initially closed down the brewery. Um, but we also expanded. Instead of doing just growlers, we're also doing howlers, which are literally half growlers, 32 ounces versus 64. Um, and the other thing that we offered for a bit was delivery. And that really didn't go over that well because I think our community just at the time that we were offering delivery – didn't really know what to do with that. You know, they, once the, once the, this is the first time in a lot of people's lives they actually had a beer delivered to their house. So it was such a new concept, but what we've tried to do during the cold months is just create um, an atmosphere where people can come in and they can feel comfortable. And that is probably the biggest challenge, not only for breweries, but for restaurants in general is creating an atmosphere where people want to return because they know that they, if they were to show up and there was a spot for them to sit, that spot would be a safe place to sit mm. and a safe place to be, even though you're inside amongst other people. So obviously, the six-foot distancing is, was key as far as uh, you know strategically placing chairs. But the other part of that is creating new pockets of places that we didn't have before to allow seating to occur and, and still keep everybody as long as they're self-monitoring themselves to keep them safe six feet apart so that everybody that was, that was there experiencing the beer would all feel comfortable. And then you generate that, that feeling of, I know that I, I'm safe going back there. Um, and that has been truly most of the feedback we've been hearing from our customers, both new and old, where they've gone to other places and whether it be restaurants, bars or whatever it may be, and they just didn't feel comfortable enough to want to return. So I think that's the challenge that the breweries and the restaurants have been facing during COVID is creating an atmosphere where people would want to return.
0: Well, and I think that's going to be so important whenever the pandemic is done. I, While I think human memories can be very short at times, I think people will remember who took care of them well when we were in this time.
1: Yeah, yeah. And again, creating that environment
0: and I think that says a lot about your brand.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate it. We worked very hard. We, we were one of the, the last breweries to open our tap room. Um, fortunately, we had such a great summer uh, and even fall. Very mild weather, uh, not a lot of rain. Um, so we really concentrated our efforts on providing a, a very comfortable and safe outside space, which allowed us to basically keep our tap room closed. So you, you literally came in, ordered a beer, and then you were out the back door. You know, sitting outside, um, and then some of the other breweries, I, I, I from what I know, we were one of the last breweries to open our tap room, and for us, it was more about not only safety for ourselves, but more importantly, safety for our customers. And it took us a while to figure out how we could strategically plan the inside and create that safety buffer. Between everybody that wanted to go in there, and it what's interesting is over time, since we since we reopened the tap room, which would have been I believe sometime in July, we reopened the tap room. We've actually, by watching how people are walking around and where they're sitting and how they're grouping, we are constantly reconfiguring it to make it even more palatable for our clientele. Um, you know, we have normally. of our people come in alone or with one other person while 70% come in with four plus. So you have to adjust how your seating is and make sure that spacing is there. Um, So I think we've done a really good job of of creating that space. Um, We haven't on social media and from our customers, we haven't really had anybody say I was there and didn't feel safe. Um, We've had people that came to the front door and said, I don't want to go in there, which is great because that means we've got a lot of people in there. Um, but we haven't had a lot of uh, negative feedback about not creating that safe space. And um, there are a lot of breweries out there, especially that have been working very, very hard at creating that space. And like you said, the hope is is that there's people that felt comfortable to come in. Remember that, remember the good experience they have and want to return. Uh, because when, before we opened the brewery, I was talking to another brewery owner and uh, you know, his comment was you can, you can have C-plus beer across the board, but if you have an A-plus experience, they're going to come back. <clears throat> so right. the difficulty is getting an A-plus on both ends of that or both sides of that. And we, we feel we're doing well enough. Um, you know, the crowds are certainly showing it. People are certainly getting more comfortable coming out now that the vaccines are coming out. But it's going to be a challenge for a while. I, I think masks are going to be a thing for our near future, if not long term. And I think people now have it in their brain that if somebody's within six feet of me, COVID or not, I'm not that comfortable anymore. You know, I think that's going to take a long time for that to go away. So it'll be interesting to see when, when they finally, you know, lift the curtain and let everything go back to normal. It'll be interesting to see how the customer base reacts to sitting right on top of the next table or standing next to a person shoulder to shoulder. We'll just have to wait and see
0: that's i'm very curious to see how we react once things open up yeah because i think there will be some things that will change forever yes and i'm i i feel like i try to pinpoint all the time what those things will be um but really i don't think we'll know until it happens
1: i I agree 100 i i think that the the at least for the people that have gone through it on a conscious level um you know i would say conscious level being 20 25 and older i think that that nugget is going to that, that that little voice in the back of their head is going to stay around for quite some time um, i think anybody below 8 25 years old is, as soon as the as soon as they pull off the chains they're just going to run out and and you know life is normal again because that that's not a generation that or an age group that was really affected by covid other than two weeks of watching netflix But I I do believe that um, I think that masks are going to become a norm, and I think it's going to be an acceptable norm. It took a while for people to get used to the fact that people were wearing masks, but I think it's going to take even longer for people to get used to the fact that people aren't wearing masks. But we'll see. I mean, until it actually happens, you're right, pinpointing what will change and what won't, is kind of impossible at this point. Yeah.
0: I just think it'll be very interesting to see, too, how much we cram our schedules. Because I think for a lot of people, having a little bit of down—I know some people are like, "Oh, well, it's going to make people lazy." I don't know if it's going to make people lazy, but I think it will make people ask, "Okay, since I've gone a year or more without this thing, does that thing still matter to me?"
1: Right. That's a good point.
0: I'll be very yeah. curious to know what the yeah. will be.
1: We'll just have to see.
0: Yeah. I so saw. What?
1: I heard you. I heard you open the stage beer. By the way.
0: I did. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. I, I was like, I, I wasn't like trying to chug my beer, but I'm like, I really want to try this while we're still on the podcast.
1: Fair enough. So you're gonna, you're gonna smell a lot of sage up front, but there's mm-hmm. really not gonna be much sage in the beer until you've already drank it, and then you'll have some that stays on.
0: Yeah, I feel it afterwards. Yeah. I like yeah. that.
1: Well, I've now never you've tried had an like beer.
0: <laughs> I think I've now found a new favorite. Yeah, because I do like that. I like that. You you. smell it a lot. It's very fragrant. You taste it. It's got a good flavor to it, but you're right. It doesn't just reek of sage. But when you open your mouth back up afterwards, that's when you
1: kind of
0: taste it and feel it.
1: Yeah. And with the with the homegrown, which was our lavender beer, I wouldn't say it tasted like a bar of soap. That's going way too far. Um, But the lavender was much more prevalent on the nose. And then you could actually taste it in the beer, even though it was very light. And like I said, it was a very popular beer, so obviously we did something right. But we learned from the lavender that we really had to back off the amount of spice that we were using and the minor herbs we were using when making the beer. And I think the the obviously the fly rod turned out just the perfect amount. So now we got to go forward. And it would be interesting to see when we change this the herb that we use, how much we have to change how much we use. Because using right. like a rosemary, we may have to use more rosemary than we did sage, because rosemary is a much less powerful uh, herb than sage is. So it's gonna be fun kind of experimenting with that and see what we can come up with.
0: Absolutely, so how did you get the name Fly Rod? Uh,
1: So Fly Rod is actually a a multi-layered name. Um, The first thing that came to mind when we made the beer is, uh, I'm a big fly fisherman. My father was teaching me how to fly fly fish before I was even walking. but Sage is, the, uh, is a company that is pretty much the premier fly rod company as far as like mass, uh, mass produced. And so when I, when I thought of Sage, I, I immediately started thinking of fishing, fly fishing. And then very quickly, like milliseconds later, I realized that fly rod is actually a nickname that a friend of mine uses for me. So he calls me Fly Rod because when I first met him, I was telling him how much I love fly fishing and he couldn't remember my name the next time. So he just called me Fly Rod. So as soon as I got to Sage and fly rod or fly fishing, I immediately went to fly rod. So it means my, it means a lot to me as a name because it's, you know, obviously a friendship, but it also for the, for the fly fishing community, they would get the reference as well because Sage was the herb that we used.
0: That is Awesome, thank you I think that's incredible yeah this is why I have so much respect for craft breweries because I think you have to be thinking creative all the time uh, and I think sometimes uh, it's hard to be creative when you're tired and it's hard to be creative in a hurry yes and I think so often that's that skill of being creative is so underappreciated
1: it can be across every industry um, right you know I'd, I'm a software consultant by day. I have to be creative every day in, in every interaction I have with my clients. But you're right, it, it it is something that a lot of people take for granted. It's certainly not something that's on a, on a job description, at least not to the level that you would think it would be. Uh, but I will tell you, speaking of naming beers, that is probably one of the biggest challenges for any craft brewery, is finding that right name for that beer um, and to be quite honest, with you, before, before I even thought of opening a brewery when I was just doing home brewing, um, I had a, a friend who knows the owner of, um, Rock Mill, which is up in the Southern, uh, South Columbus area. And he had him down at his restaurant and invited me over and said, Hey, bring over some of your beers. I'd love to see what this guy says about your home beer. Cause I love it. So I brought it to him and he drank the first beer and he looked at me and he says, so tell me the story. And my first reaction was, well, it's pale two row. It's this, it's this hop, it's this yeast. And I did this and blah, blah, blah. I says, no, no, I want to know what's the story behind the beer. Why did you pick this beer to make? And so that hearing that from him who has a brewery owner. And then when we opened the brewery, I was like, oh, now I know what he means. When people go up to order a beer, they don't just want to order a Kolsch. They want to know. Why is the colst named Fu Twenty Twenty? Which was my
0: greatest thing, that, the greatest beer that has come out of this pandemic. But anyways, continue. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so everybody, that's the that's probably the 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 question we get the most from people. Why did you name it that, or why the why did you pick that name for that style? Um, and so they want to know the story behind the beer. And to be quite honest with you, a lot of times the story. Sells the beer, then the beer sells the beer, uh, because if you a lot of when we when we had Son of a Nutcracker, which we release every winter, uh, we're actually we we released our third one this year. Um, my wife got a brilliant idea the first year to make Snickerdoodle cookies and serve a cookie with every pour. And so, Son of a Nutcracker is obvious, you know. Son of a Nutcracker is the explicative in in the movie Elf. Um, and there, by the way, are a lot of beers out there named Son of a Nutcracker. So I'm not taking credit for that. Um, but even going into July and August, we had people walking in and saying, I want the cookie beer because the cookie beer. Nice. they remembered the cookie and they remember the story. And even though the beer is really good, they want to be a part of a story. And so yeah. coming up with names of beers is true it's it's challenging my my wife and i sat for the last three days we have a beer that's coming out uh it's a belgian double and it's already in the kegs it's ready to go i've got an open tap but we couldn't put it on because we didn't have a name for it so we sat for a couple days and just tried to come up with anything and then it hit it, it hit her this morning we have a we have a chart behind the the bar for the for the bar staff that has um the uh ETA with the, you know, at at what time will this beer? So it's a list of our beers that are in the tanks that are in the fermenters. And so the title is, um, the name or the style of beer and the, uh, or what's in the tank and ETA. So one of our bar staff walked in and said, she's reading down the, the list. And she said, what kind of beer is in the tank? And everyone kind of stood there for a minute, like, no, in the tank means that that beer is in the tank.
0: Oh, (laughs) it's waiting
1: to come out. And so of course we all start laughing and my wife wakes up this morning and says, we have to name it in the tank. So the Belgian double coming out is going to be called, and this is kind of like a preview. It's going to be called in the tank. And the story behind it is our bar staff just completely misread this information I was trying to give them. And then she also followed up with what, what kind of beer is ETA? And at that point, you, you know, you kind of lose yourself in the laughter, but Right. So every every name has to have or should have some story behind it because that's what the customers want to hear. And then they can actually build a rapport, if you want to call it that, or a relationship with what they're drinking and what's the story behind it.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love it. And our beer buddies that listen to the show, I don't think they realize how cool it was to hear a story of a beer that's not out yet. So <laughs> we're near the Mason area someone grab a picture of this beer when they get it because I want to know that they heard it here first
1: there you go called in the tank it should be on probably Thursday this week
0: pay attention beer buddies I want to know somebody (laughs) shoot me a picture (laughs) so Mark what what can we do right now to help breweries out the most like if we are craft beer lovers what can we do to help our local
1: breweries to be quite honest with you, what you can do to help local breweries is is both now and forever going forward. Talking about your brewery, your favorite brewery, your favorite beer, your favorite experience, um, and and referencing in your stories to your friends and your social media and things like that—that that is truly the best way to help your local brewery, because. There are a lot of people out there looking at social media, especially the, the beer geeks from Dayton and the Cincinnati, greater Cincinnati beer page. There's a lot of people out there looking for where did you have a great experience or what's your, what's your home brewery? Or, um, I'm looking for a dunkel. Where can I go to get a good dunkel in Cincinnati? That is truly, and I tell all my customers that if you're going to help me out outside of coming in and drinking my product, Talking about us, posting us on social media. Um, I, I mean, if, if hopefully Yelp changes from being a complaint board to a positive board, but going going to things like that and and really pumping up your favorite spot is the best way to help them out because very soon people are going to start traveling again, and everyone's gotten so used to getting information off of social media for the last year. That they're gonna start paying attention more and more to social media recommendations. Right. And so that if I were to if if I were to tell anybody that comes into my brewery how can I help, that's probably the biggest help. If you have a good experience with me, let people know that you did. Because that's gonna drive them to come and have a similar experience at my place.
0: I love that advice. And I agree, I hope that things like Yelp and social media become not so much of a place where we just complain all the time, mm-hmm. where we get to really share, Hey, I had a great time and you will too. I love yeah. that. So on every show, Mark, I always ask people, what would you tell your 25 year old self?
1: Yeah, you've set me up with that question. And I have really struggled with that over the last couple of days. Um, I, I think looking back on, you know, my last, believe it or not, 25 years, because I'm 50 years old, the one thing I, I, I wish I had done, I, I don't really want to say it's a regret by any means, um, but the one thing I wish my 24-year-old self knew is you don't have to do what's expected of you. You don't have to do what is the next logical step based on what other people are telling you. If you have an idea in your head, <clears throat> even if it's a wild idea, take the time to understand if it's possible. Um, I certainly wouldn't have opened a brewery at 25, nor would I recommend a 25 year old ever open a brewery because there's just too much involved for a 25 year old to have experienced up to that point in their life. But if you're interested in opening a brewery, go work for a brewery, go talk to brewery owners, or I mean, at minimum start home brewing. But if I were to say something to my 24 year old self is don't be afraid to go out of your comfort zone and take a risk. You're young enough at 25 years old where you can recover from a bad decision because you're gonna have a ton of them you know, after 25 years old. But don't ever be afraid to, to, to take that risk because as a 25 year old, you're gonna be able to recover and still live a, a full and vibrant life uh, even if you're pivoting away from that original decision. The other thing I would say to my 24-year-old to my self is, um, you know, certainly look at, have more forward thinking instead of just coming out of college and or, you know, having a full-time job and thinking I've got to work my way up through that industry because you don't have to. Switching industries now, in your generation is a prime example of that. Switching industries and switching job careers has become a natural thing. And, and in my day, it wasn't. You know, the expectation of my generation was you get out of college, you get your job and you're there until you retire. Um, And that's just not a thing anymore. And I wish I had 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 the ability to understand that at 25 years old.
0: Yeah, I think that's like good for even myself at 27 to hear. And that's why I love that question is I think I just know how much I've grown in two years. So I'm super excited to hear what 50 year old Ashley knows that 27 year old Ashley doesn't.
1: Yeah. And don't, don't, and I, I don't, but I know a lot of people do. Don't ever regret a path that you've chosen because even, even a bad path is a good learning experience for you to not to repeat in the future. Uh, And I've made plenty of bad decisions and I wouldn't be who I am today without having made that decision. So don't be afraid to make that bad decision because you'll learn from it one way or the other.
0: Uh. That is so good. So good. Do so to kind of wrap up our conversation, sure. people want to learn more about your brewery. How do they find you? Uh,
1: there's a couple ways. Uh, we are on, obviously we have a uh, our own webpage. Um, and it's got um, pictures, stories, it's got what we have on tap and, and basically all the things uh, about our brewery. Um, Facebook is obviously an easy one to go to. Uh, we are on Instagram, although I don't know how to use Instagram. I'm terrible at it. Um, uh, we do not have a Twitter account, but if they want to go to the website and email us, we, we reply within a, a day or two Facebook messaging. We try and get to as often as we can. Um, but truly, the best way to learn about my brewery is to come in, because uh, you're pretty much guaranteed either my wife and I, who are the owners, will be there. Um, come in, introduce yourself, ask questions. Um, I'll give you a brewery tour if you want, although I think everybody by now has already had at least one of those in their life. There's really not that much difference, but um, we're always there to talk and, and meet you and introduce ourselves and have the conversation because that's truly why we called it the Common Beer Company is that we want it to be a community common experience for everybody. So if you're if you're not walking in the door with a friend, I, I certainly expect you to walk away having met one. So um, that's the best way to get a hold of me. But if you're not in the area, uh, web uh, the webpage, Facebook, and Instagram.
0: Well, I'm just so glad you shared, and I am super excited to go back to your brewery. Sweet. It's a beautiful place. Thank you. you really have put in a, hard, a lot of hard work. It's very obvious to see, and I'm just so thankful you were willing to be on the show. Oh,
1: absolutely. I, I love doing these things. It's uh, it's it's another avenue for me to just talk, and obviously, based on the last 30 minutes, you can see I'd love to talk, so... Um, I appreciate the opportunity. It was great to meet you. I'm glad we were here to help you out with uh, what you needed and you've tried a couple new beers. So um, it's a win-win for both of us.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and that's what every time that you celebrate life over beer should be folks. So if you haven't already go ahead and like, and subscribe to the podcast so you can hear every single episode. Also go find us on Facebook and Instagram. That way you can learn more about the guests every single
1: week. And until next time, I hope you enjoy life over a beer. Cheers.